It's just audio, Christina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where are we go where are we going here? Uh, this is building two. We're going upstairs to the twenty-sixth floor. Twenty-sixth floor. Yeah. These elevators break down a lot, or every day they break down a lot. This one right here is not in service. It gets locked every time we come to the first floor. Broken elevators are a fact of life in public housing. So Christina Greer and I wait patiently to see if today we're going to be lucky. Christina is 39, but in her black tracksuit and baseball cap, she looks far younger. She lives here, at Polo Grounds Towers in Upper Manhattan. Four red brick buildings of 30 storeys each, public housing for nearly 4,000 low-income residents. Christina approached me when she saw my microphone. Like most residents here, she has a lot of complaints, and she just wants somebody to listen. You can just look around at it. It's so much they need to do. It's the maintenance. The maintenance in the projects sucks. The grass is unkempt. Footpaths are an uneven patchwork of tarmac. There's half-finished construction work going on and quite a lot of trash littered around. Christina offers to take me upstairs to take a look at the problems inside her apartment. When a working elevator finally arrives, two other women step inside with us. I like that mic. I'm just doing some recording for a project. Oh, okay. Do you, you, get, you live here as well? No. Just visiting. Yeah, we're just visiting. So you're interviewing. I'm interviewing. And what is interviewing the question? Christina? It's basically for the maintenance that they do works here. Mm-hmm. in the projects. Right, yeah. So I'm just taking him up so he could see yeah. what we got to deal with. Yeah, he got to see. People got to yeah, see what we yes, going through. It's definitely. annoying. We work, right? We pay our bills. We don't owe no rent. Why we got to live like this? Have a great day. I hear you. Okay, take care. All right. Christina says there's a stigma attached to living in public housing because the average income is right around the poverty line. For instance, the two women we were just talking to in the elevator, a second ago, they said they were just here visiting. They live here. They live here? They live here. And they just told me they didn't? They, just, they told you they didn't because they, they don't know who you are. Is that caution or shame? It could be both, depending on how they feel and take, take it in. I tell Christina I'm not here to make anyone feel embarrassed about their apartments. I'm here because soon she and her neighbours will have to make a big decision about how exactly to fix up this place. Across New York City, public housing residents will soon get a vote on how their developments and all the repairs are paid for. The question? Should they stick with the status quo, waiting for more government money to repair their homes? Or should they take a chance on a plan that would take money from private investors? I'm Thomas Copeland, and this is Betting the House, a documentary about a public housing system at a crossroads. With spiraling costs and not enough cash to get by, America's largest public housing authority is facing its biggest crisis in a generation, maybe in its history. And so officials are looking for private investment to help repair the crumbling buildings. These properties are all savable. You know, with investment, they can be, they are beautiful places to live, but they're just looking for a facelift. But a lot of residents don't want to see private money anywhere near public housing. Public housing is under attack. What do we do? What do we do? To make this plan work, officials will have to convince residents that this is the only way to fix the problems plaguing public housing. If the city is saying they don't have the money, y'all can fight it, but it's eventually gonna happen. It's gonna happen. 
And it will be the residents' choice. A choice that is full of risks and pitfalls, no matter how they end up voting. And a choice that will dictate the future of public housing for decades to come. Public housing in New York City is a lone island of affordability in an ocean of skyrocketing rents and a rising tide of gentrification. More than half a million low-income people live in these buildings spread across over 300 developments in all five boroughs, more than the population of Miami or Atlanta. Before we get to the details on the vote, I wanted to show you what the challenge is. At Polo Grounds Towers, Christina takes me into her apartment. It's the same one she grew up in and she lives here with her mum. Oh yeah, and then there's the dogs. Who are, the, who are the dogs? Those are my nephew dogs. Princess and King. They're pretty loud. Yeah, they loud. I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> Instead, Christina wants to talk about the state of her apartment. She tells me that workers came six months ago and started some much-needed repairs, but they never came back to finish the job. She takes me into the bathroom and pulls back the shower curtain. The tiles around the back of the shower have been torn off, but not replaced. Instead, plastic sheeting has been roughly duct-taped over the exposed walls at the back. Water pockets coming through the ceilings. Uh, the ceiling, the paint is bubbling, so we don't know if there's water, if it's plaster, if it's lead. Okay, and I mean, it's, it's chipping here as well. I can see a hole just directly over the toilet. Yes, and that's, that's the leak, so water's been coming through there. Water's been coming through the... So if you're sitting on the toilet? Yes, you're going to have water drips. Water dripping on you while you're using the bathroom. Seriously? Yes. Yes, it's non-stop. Christina takes me out of the bathroom and into the kitchen. Between a chest freezer and a washing machine, there's another exposed wall and a gaping hole in the vinyl floor tiling. Most of the kitchen has been ripped out. The countertop and sink, plus all the kitchen cabinets, gone. What do you see? Would you be comfortable living here? Where would you store your food? I can't see anywhere where I would. I literally can't see anywhere where I would be able to store food. Exactly my point. Christina tells me that when the workers took away her cabinet sink and tiles six months ago, they told her it would all be back before Thanksgiving. But with one week to go, Christina says she just can't invite family over for the holiday this year. When I leave, I tell her I'll be back in the new year to see if there's been any progress. But right now, I'm heading to see the people who are supposed to be fixing up her place. Public housing is run by an agency called the New York City Housing Authority. But everyone just calls it NYCHA. N-Y-C-H-A, NYCHA. The authority is run out of a grand limestone building down in the financial district. The elevators here are always working. So I head up to the 10th floor. Hi, I'm here to see Brian Honan. Brian Honan is NYCHA's Senior Vice President of Intergovernmental Relations. I want to ask him about NYCHA's new plan. Hi, Brian, yeah, how are you doing? Good, good, yourself? I'm Thomas, lovely to meet you. Hey, Thomas, Thanks nice very much you for your time. Brian's in his 50s, born in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. I live, actually live on the same block I grew up in, which is pretty, uh, pretty corny, but true. Brian's worked at NYCHA for 17 years now. Basically, he's NYCHA's link between residents who need more money for their developments and politicians who often won't pay for it. I mentioned a bit about Christina's apartment and he wasn't surprised. Repairs are supposed to happen in 15 days, but currently 
the system is taking almost a year. NYCHA says they're working on plans to speed up repairs, but to fix everything would take over $40 billion. We are seeing conditions get so bad in buildings because of disinvestment that, um, yes, there's not a wrecking ball, but the future is in doubt. NYCHA was formed in 1934, amidst the mass public spending of the New Deal, and many of the developments still standing today were built in the following two decades. For much of that time, NYCHA's federal funding mainly came from Section 9 of the National Housing Act. Section 9 is public housing in its simplest form, developments that are built, managed and maintained by the government using public funds. But as the 20th century dragged on and the political ground shifted, Brian tells me that things began to change. In around the 1970s, the government began to look at Section 9 as a bit of a dinosaur program. There, you know, there's too much government spending, there's too much social spending, we need to get away from some of these programs. Congress kept cutting Section 9 throughout the 90s and the 2000s. Since 2001, NYCHA has seen nearly $3 billion in federal funds slashed from its budget. An agency can't take that type of hit, you know, and not feel it, right? And so what has happened, what they call is like starving the beast. They've given us crumbs and then asked us, like, why are you still hungry? In Washington, D.C., privatization was in vogue. Rather than send all the money to old public housing agencies, the federal government sent more and more of it to the private sector. Perhaps you've heard of Section 8 housing vouchers? That's the way the federal government can essentially pay private landlords to put up low-income residents with public dollars. A couple of years ago, NYCHA looked at the private sector moving into their turf and thought, what if they, as a public agency, started a private corporation? Put developments like Polar Grounds Towers inside of that corporation, and then NYCHA could get that voucher money for itself. Brian says if they can pull off this plan, NYCHA could roughly double the amount of government funding they're currently getting. It's like that old saying about the bank robber, Willie Sutton. Why are you robbing banks? And he said, that's where the money is. Um, and I think that's what we're doing here, right? We're going where the money is. And so, NYCHA created a corporation. It's called the Public Housing Preservation Trust. But Brian says that just because NYCHA's developments would be moved into this private corporation, that doesn't mean that they're being privatized. I think the uh, Preservation Trust is public housing, right? Maybe it's not Section 9, but if it, uh, you know, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, swims like a duck, it's a duck, right? Whatever Brian calls it, this new plan would mark a fundamental shift in how NYCHA has historically been funded. Last year, the state legislature bought into the idea, and in June, New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed the trust into law. Where? At Polo Grounds Towers, where Christina and her dogs live. The governor even brought some mementos. We're talking about signing a bill today. I've got a lot of nice pens for everybody. We are going to be establishing, first time this has ever happened in the United States of America, we're going to establish the New York City Public Housing Preservation Trust. Does that have a nice sound to it? If Governor Hochul sounds like she's trying to sell this plan, that's because she is. 
The lawmakers didn't want to force any developments into the trust, so they promised that the tenants in each development get a chance to vote on whether they enter. So the trust will have an opt-in voting process, first of its kind, that will allow the residents to decide whether or not they want to participate in the program. After the way I described it, I'm not sure who would want to participate, but we'll leave it up to you. NYCHA had said that the first votes would come in early 2023, and the governor sounded pretty confident that day. But leaving the choice open to the residents does create a big risk for NYCHA. For many, the very word private is toxic. And there are plenty of residents who are ready for a fight. At City Hall, a group of around 40 people have made it out despite the cold. They've brought their protest signs. They call themselves the Residents to Preserve Public Housing. The man leading the chants there is Marquise Jenkins. He lives in public housing on the Lower East Side. He's 40 years old with long dreadlocks down his back. He's the founder of this group, and every Sunday you can find him in front of his computer leading their meetings on Zoom. repair program. We're asking for 700 million dollars. Marquise has made a huge impact in NYCHA circles since he took up arms against the trust. Everywhere I go, people know his name. He was just finishing up on this week's meeting when I met up with him in January. He's expecting the first votes to be announced any day now, so he's gearing up for a big campaign to say no to the trust. Good night. Good night. Good night. Ah. <laughs> ah. Back to Sunday meetings. Uh, I didn't get out of this chair. <laughs> tired? Not tired, but it's uh, sitting in the same position for two hours. Can I Marquise has worked as a community activist for most of his life, but this battle is personal. Because it's home. Um, public housing is home, and I know that when public housing leaves, that is the end of... New York affordability. Marquise grew up in NYCHA developments with his mum, dad, four brothers, five sisters and two nieces. Fourteen people in a three-bedroom apartment in the Bronx. When he was seven, the family moved to a comparatively spacious five-bed unit in the Lower East Side. And he's lived there ever since. I mean, we were poor. Even during the 80s when we moved to the Lower East Side, there was... There was no apartment big enough that we could afford, right? As the city becomes more and more gentrified, and so if they get rid of public housing, there's nowhere for family like mine to go to. But Marquise is armed with more than just memories of a childhood in public housing. He knows his way around just about every NYCHA, city, state and federal housing document there is. And here is what he found. Implementing the Public Housing Preservation Trust will truly be the end of public housing as we know it. Here's why. Marquise points to a part of NYCHA's plan that the governor did not talk about when she announced it. Because the trust is a private corporation, it can also take private investment. And in fact, a big part of the design for the trust is to borrow money from the private market. It will issue bonds Investors can buy those bonds. And in the end, NYCHA could get $6 of borrowed private money for every $1 of public funding. For Marquise, 
public housing and private money are simply incompatible. The private market has one interest, and that is to make profit. And every decision that they make is about how to increase their profit. The private sector doesn't care about making quality homes so that residents have a decent and safe place to live. Some of what Marquis says is hard to dispute. After all, no private investor will buy bonds from the trust unless they think they're going to make a profit. That's the whole point of buying the bonds. We are at a crossroad with public housing, and the entire country is paying attention to what we are going to do. And so what happens here will truly determine if we are going to expand public housing or if we are going to end the public housing in this country forever. I brought up this whole business about the bonds with Brian Honan back at NYCHA. Brian said issuing bonds isn't an unusual way for any organization to raise money. You know, people are really hung up on this, uh, this bond thing, but the subway, the sec- we just built the Second Avenue subway. The state didn't, like, say, let's save up money and build, you know, a subway line. What they did was they issued bonds, but nobody considers the subway to be a private entity. Everybody knows the subway is, a, you know, is public. But there's a catch. And it's a big one. But I mean, the people who buy the bonds, you are indebted to them. The trust is indebted to them. What happens if the trust can't pay its debts? So the legislation contemplates this. um, And by the way, it is a very, like, slim possibility, you know, that this would happen. But if it does, the city of New York has the ability to cure the debt. We've essentially created a political... um, We've, we've created a political obligation. If, Come on, my brother. It's not a legal obligation, though, is it? You know, we're, we're talking about the state and the city telling thousands and thousands of families that, uh, we, you know, we're not going to come to your rescue. Well, I mean, so, so I'll quote from the legislation, Brian, all right? Yeah. Section 637, 13B, mm-hmm. nothing in this subdivision shall be construed to impose any obligation on the city of New York or the state of New York to remedy or cause to be remedied such default. So there's no legal obligation. There is no legal obligation. There is, what I said is there is a, a political obligation. But you could understand why a political why. obligation could be cold comfort to some people who are very worried. Right. Worst case scenario, we are unable to make the payments. The city of New York says no. The state of New York says no. Worst case scenario, the management uh, changes. Let me repeat that. Worst case scenario, the management changes. What Brian just said there is a big admission. And it's something I can't find in any of the information about the trust given to residents by NYCHA. If the trust cannot repay its debts, the day-to-day management of the developments could be taken over by private companies. That can dramatically transform public housing for the better and for the worse. And before residents vote on their own future, they should take a look at the developments where the city has tried that form of privatization before. The first ever NYCHA development that went private is a ferry ride away from Manhattan. Next stop, Rockaway. Rockaway Beach is home to Ocean Bay Apartments. That's where I met up with Janine Latimer Henderson, who says we have something in common. My grandfather and grandmother originally was from Ireland. 
and then they migrated there together to the West Indies. Janine herself grew up in the Caribbean, and when she came to New York, she wanted to stay close to the ocean. Only difference is, is the water's not blue. <laughs> That's the only difference. The water's not like clean like how it is there. Sometimes I just, I, I'll go walk there and I'll sit out there, read a book, or sometimes go there and I'll pray. Janine has lived at Ocean Bay for nearly three decades, before and after it went private. Ten years ago, it fit the old stereotype of the neglected public project. They weren't pulling the garbage in the building. Do you know how that would, how your building would smell with that? They weren't pulling the garbage. They weren't doing nothing. They weren't cutting the grass. The building was dirty. The staircase we were dirty. This place was horrible. It was disgusting. Janine was even embarrassed to invite her family over for the holidays. I used to tell people I lived here and they used to say, oh, hell no, I ain't come to visit you. In 2016, NYCHA tried something new. They didn't have the cash to fix up Ocean Bay themselves, so they turned to a new program launched by the Obama administration. It was called the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD. It basically turned over the administration of the development to a private company. In this case, a firm named Wavecrest Management. The residents here at Ocean Bay did not have a vote on the matter. Janine was a fierce opponent of privatisation at the time. She spoke to the media, organised protests and even appeared on podcasts to talk about just how badly she thought the programme was going. If I had a choice, I would have loved for this to remain public housing. I would, mm. I would pack my bags and run the public housing. You know, they say that this programme is everything, but it's really not. And the people, a lot of tenants are scared to speak up and to speak out. That was two years ago, in 2021. But today, standing with her outside Ocean Bay, Janine says she was wrong. She says the place really has improved under private management. Your buildings are clean. Your staircases are clean. Your elevators are clean. I'm not walking in piss. We got trees. We got new, the, the little park is new. We got a dog park. We never had that. They beautified the place, I give them that. Would you be proud to bring your family here for Thanksgiving these days? Yeah, I've been telling them, they come, my family comes every Sunday to my house and they eat with me every Sunday. It's a ritual with us, unless they go away. Cause I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Since Ocean Bay went private in 2016, NYCHA has done the same at 50 more developments. But while places like Ocean Bay might have been given a facelift, it may have come at a cost. An investigation released last year by the watchdog group Human Rights Watch revealed that in the two years after Ocean Bay entered private management, the eviction rate of the development was more than triple that of NYCHA developments across New York. Now, NYCHA disputes those findings, but on the ground, tenants were alleging the same thing. Janine herself used to be really concerned about it. But now, when I raise this, she has again changed her mind. Lots of other people that I speak to in NYCHA developments across the city are worried about various forms of privatisation. And they say things to me like, have you seen all the evictions at Ocean Bay? As somebody who's living in Ocean Bay, what's your response to that? They say it's higher. But you know what? You gotta, you know what? I guess that's the people, a lot of them was people that been getting away with so much with NYCHA, not paying their rent. But if you're working and you're paying your bills, you ain't got to worry about it. Now, the rules for evictions in NYCHA are complicated. 
and much of what Janine said there is hard to verify. NYCHA and the private manager say that some residents abandoned their homes, failed to sign new leases, broke the terms of their lease, or weren't even on the lease in the first place. But whatever the reason for the evictions, it's no wonder that stories like this terrify some NYCHA residents elsewhere in the city. The Ocean Bay model, where NYCHA turns over the management to a private company, will actually be an alternative option when residents get to vote on the trust. But NYCHA knows that it's not a popular option with residents. And that's why they're working so hard to stress that their new plan, the trust, isn't the same as privatisation. Because with the trust, the developments are still managed by NYCHA day to day. As a vote on the trust nears, Janine does have a warning for those who are trying to resist it. If the city is saying they don't have the money, y'all can fight it, but it's eventually going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm talking to a woman in a development, a NYCHA development in Upper Manhattan. NYCHA took away her kitchen cabinets. And nothing is back. Took away her sink, took away her tiles. Still nothing. Would something like that ever happen here at Ocean Bay? Hell no. That would never happen here. No. No. Today is a good day back at Polo Grounds Towers in Manhattan. The elevators are working. As promised, I'm back after Christmas to visit Christina. I'm keen to see if Nietzsche has repaired her kitchen or her bathroom. Walking into the apartment, I immediately notice one big change. No way, puppies! What? Oh, look at them! How many are there? Seven. When did that happen? The dog ate, uh... I think a month ago, yeah. Oh, my word. The puppies might be a lively addition to the apartment, but it wasn't the Christmas present that Christina had hoped for. Today's date's the 11th of January. We last spoke mid-November, maybe a week before Thanksgiving. NYCHA, you said to me, had said that they would come and fix up your kitchen, fix up your bathroom before the festive season, before Thanksgiving and Christmas. Has anything been done? No, they said that they was going to come last week and they didn't show up to finish off the plaster. We have no update on the cabinets, we have no update on the tiles in the bathroom, and we have no update on the sink. I mean, does this not drive you mad? It does, I hate it. I hate looking at it, it's disgusting. It's disgusting, look at the floor, the tiles is up, look at the plaster, it's a sloppy job. Honestly, you get tired of fighting them. Because they never come. It's, I lived here so many years. It's, you know, you keep fighting and fighting and fighting. and It's so much they need to do. I asked Christina if she thinks things will get any better if residents vote to enter the trust. She says she just doesn't know. We don't know what's going on. That's what I'm saying. You're asking me questions about NYCHA, but I can't give you explanations because we're in the dark. And it's not just me. I'm sure a lot of people that know, they don't know. Christina didn't even know when the vote was going to happen. And frankly, neither did I. So I tried to track down someone who might know. The Polo Grounds Towers Tenant Association is located on the first floor of Christina's building. Every weekend when I come here, there's a table outside piled high with food. Bread and pastry, salad, sandwiches, soup, the list goes on. And behind that table, you'll usually find Serena Chandler, the Tenant Association president. Yes, ma'am, take what you like. 
You're welcome. Serena is nearly 60. She was only elected as president a few years ago, but she's lived here at Polo Grounds Towers for 25 years. Serena is an unashamed champion for the development, although she hates it when I use that word. I can't stand the word development. I hate the word projects. These are public housing campuses, and it should be beautiful. Um, just because we are poor doesn't mean that beauty is wasted on us. So visions of gazebos and pavilions and barbecue areas and vibrant spaces for us to sit and be together and beautiful playgrounds for our children. And how is she going to get there? Well, Serena is unusual in public housing circles. She's a tenant association president who actively supports the trust. One of a mere handful of cheerleaders for the plan. Remember when Governor Hochul signed the trust into law at Polo Grounds Towers last summer? Well, Serena was there too. Please welcome to the podium, Serena Chandler. Wow, good morning, everyone. And welcome to my beloved Polo Grounds Towers. But now, almost seven months later, Serena is getting impatient. NYCHA still hasn't announced when it plans to hold the first votes on entering the trust. And Serena is worried they might pick another development for the first ballot. As you know, the governor came to my beloved Polo Grounds and signed the public trust. So I think that for them to exclude Polo Grounds, ooh, they don't want to press conference me if they do that. They, that's the fight they don't want. NYCHA's going to know about it if they don't bring the vote here. Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, oh boy. I know their names and phone numbers. They don't want to come to their office and find me sitting in their chair with my feet up on their desk. No, they don't. Do you think there are any risks of it going wrong? The people I speak to, you know, people who are really against the trust, there are plenty of them and you've met them. They say this is a big risk to allow more private involvement in public housing. What do you say to that? I strongly believe that they're chasing a dream that's really going to wind up being a nightmare for the people who live in public housing because you're trying to, to rally residents to support something that's going away. Serena sees the trust as a way out, a way to transform Polo Grounds Towers into the public housing campus she so desperately wants to live in. She'll be rallying her residents to vote for the trust. And tenant association presidents can be pretty influential in their developments, in part because so few other residents are engaged with issues like this. So there's a strong chance that Serena will indeed lead Polo Grounds Towers into the trust one day. I started following Polo Grounds Towers in October of 2022, met with Christina in her leaky bathroom in November and January, and now it's March of 2023. But there's no word on the first votes on the trust. NYCHA says they're still picking developments and working on a timeline for the months ahead. I wanted to check in one last time with Christina to see if anything had changed for her. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Christina, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Any of the repairs been done yet, Christina? No, Thomas. None of them? None of them. Nobody reached out. No update. Okay. No tiles tiles and leaks still in the bathroom? Tiles, everything is still the same. 
Do you have any idea when they might be fixed? I have no idea, Thomas. No idea. That's their normal. They do things and they don't finish. And this is a job that they started that they're not going to finish. So, yeah, it's going to take a while. I'm not, ex I'm not happy. I'm not expecting anything to happen soon. That's just how housing works. Fair enough. All right, Christina, listen, thank you. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. You're welcome, Thomas. Have a great day. See you soon. Bye-bye. Betting the House was written and reported by me, Thomas Copeland. It was edited by Robert Smith.